Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. afternoon to you. It's 4.04. Yes, life goes on. The Beatles, Obladi, Oblada. This is the run home. Thanks to McDelivery with Stephen McIver at 4.04. I'm here till Thursday. Life goes on. I wonder if that's what Dave Rennie is thinking about right now, that life just goes on after being dumped, unceremoniously dumped by Australian rugby. We'll talk to Dom Decent, Tom Decent, decent fellow he is too, the man that broke the story in about three or four minutes' time. On our Macca's menu, James Oram, the man that won the New Zealand Cycle Classic, part of Bolton Equity's Black Spoke Racing. We'll talk to him around 4.40. We're going to talk the NFL because it's wild card weekend's almost done. Cincinnati Baltimore is the last game going on at the moment. David Morales, the Floridian, who won the Dorothy Smith Memorial Trophy yesterday in the opening weekend of the Super Sprint Motorsport New Zealand Championship. We'll talk to him around 5.40. He's an incredibly fun guy. He's 19. You'd think he was 29, but boy, he's, he's a whole heap of fun. And Ben Kenny's will wrap up what's going on, uh, what went on, should I say, in the New Zealand Surf Open. There is so much to get through. If you want to get on the Makita phone line, 0800 150811. 0800 150811. That's the Makita phone line. And of course, if you've got thoughts on what's happened to Dave Rennie or anything that's happened over the weekend, get on the Temper Bedposter text line on double A double three. Thanks to Temper and Bedpost like no other. So okay, so I get a call this this oh, late last night this morning from the lads, the lads, Jacob and Neeps, and say, guess what? Eddie Jones is the new coach. I said, well, we better sort something out. So this is what uh, the the boss of uh, Rugby Australia said. It's a major coup for Australian rugby to have the best coach in the world return home to coach the iconic Wallabies and oversee the Wallaroos program. Here's the kicker, I reckon. Eddie's deep understanding of our rugby system and knowledge of our player group and pathways will lift the team to the next level. This is a a year out from the World Cup. Eddie instinctively understands the Australian way of playing rugby. The Australian way of playing rugby. Okay. This represents an opportunity to secure a coach of immense expertise and experience at the biggest competitions, and we did not want to miss it. Oh, thanks, Dave. Thanks very much. Tom Decent, the man that broke the story for the Sydney Morning Herald, joins us right now. Hey, Tom, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you going? Yeah, mate, I'm good. i got to say, that's like just slapping that quote is like slapping Dave Rennie in the face. Now, oh, we made a mistake. Sorry, pal, move on. Oh, it's a harsh call for sure. Um, but ultimately, Dave Rennie's win record is 38% and it's the worst of a Wallabies coach in the professional era. So um, Rugby Australia bit in the board and 
yeah, I do feel for Dave. He's a good guy and a good coach. Uh, that's a, the way forward and a question for Rugby Australia. But, yeah, an interesting statement nonetheless. When did you get a sniff that this was going to happen? Oh, look, it's been – it's no secret that uh, Rugby Australian Chairman Hamish McLennan has been wanting to try and get Eddie. Uh, the initial plan was to try and cook up something for 2024 – I was surprised this morning when it came across my desk that um, they had sacked Rennie for this year. I thought it would be too close to a World Cup. I wasn't sure whether Eddie would, would want to do that on such short notice, given he's going to not have a lot of hands-on time with the players before a World Cup. So, yeah, surprised about the 2023 element, but not particularly that they've got Jones from, you know, 24 onwards to a home World Cup in 2027. Is Eddie Jones the saviour of Australian rugby? Oh, um, fine-the-sky questions. I'm not sure. I don't know. Like, the proof, proof will be in the pudding. He will be very polarising over here as well. His, his methods haven't, you know, um, washed well with everyone over here when he was Wallaby's coach from 01 to 05. There are still people who remember how he was like. Um, the players, it'll be a very much a rude shock for them, as sort of Makito pointed out on Twitter earlier today. Uh, look, if he can orchestrate, um, you know, uh, something with the Wallabies and get them to uh, you know a reasonable finish in this World Cup and then into a home World Cup where there'll be a lot of resources and interest you know poured into this Wallabies side. Then maybe, but way too early to say. But it's um, in terms of a narrative and him coming back to Australian rugby, it's um, yeah interesting to say the least. How do you think the players will react to this? I think they'll be very surprised. I think they understood that Dave Rennie was under immense pressure, having an okay spring tour and, and results maybe not going the team's way. They feel like they bear that responsibility and that the, maybe they weren't living up to the expectations that, that Rennie and the coaching staff had on them. So I don't think it's necessarily a Rennie problem. It's poss- possibly a player problem. You know, can Eddie Jones manufacture something with this wall of his side? Like, I'm not totally convinced he can in such a short space of time. Uh, but I don't think anyone's maybe looking forward to working with Eddie. I know, I know that not, not barely any of the guys have had a working relationship with him. Quade Cooper um, was very much involved with him very early on in his Reds time while Eddie was just coaching then before he got sacked. So not many of these guys actually know Eddie that well and they would have heard stories about how brutal he can be and uh, the hard edge he sort of has on his side. So to say that they're excited and having not spoken to any of them, to be totally honest, at such short notice, but I couldn't imagine they're... Um, jumping out of the skin to, to play under him at the moment. <laughs> Gee, that's not that, 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 that not that exciting when you say they're not over, overjoyed to maybe playing for him and you've got a World Cup around the, around the corner. From your understanding and knowledge of Australian rugby, is depth always going to be the issue? Oh, it's always going to be an issue. I think there are some elements in some positions that Australia have created a lot of depth in, uh, but across the park... Can they sustain that? Can they pick a sort of 33-man squad that's going to have enough depth to get them deep into that World Cup? Potentially, they do have a good draw. Let's, let's not forget that, that Australia, if they top their pool, which is very topable, um, could possibly play Argentina in a quarter-final and anything can happen. Um, and what a tantalising match that would be between Eddie Jones, coach of the Wallabies, against Michael Checker in Argentina and their whole backstory. So, uh, yeah, depth will always be a problem for sure, but I think if they can get everyone fit, which they didn't have last year with a whole bunch of guys out, then there'll be an okay chance to progress, you know, post quarterfinals. How much do you think, Tom, this was about Australian rugby wanting an Australian coach? Oh, I think it's undeniable that that was a factor. Um, Dave Rennie, fantastic guy, great coach. Uh, the thing to factor in is that Hamish McLennan, the chairman, and Andy Marinos, the CEO, didn't appoint. Dave Rennie is coach, so they uh, you know, inherited Dave from, from Rayleigh Castle, a Kiwi as well. 
Um, and, and, they, and they backed Dave to the heel. They strongly defended him. McLennan was quoted in August, I think, saying that he will be the guy through to the World Cup. And this probably wouldn't have happened unless um, Eddie Jones wasn't sacked by England. That's sort of the catalyst for how this has transpired so quickly. Uh, they, they were keen to get in for 24, but in terms of 2023, um, they were more than happy with Rennie to be the guy through the World Cup. So probably England's decision to, to punt Eddie has, has sort of made this happen very quickly here. And I do feel for Dave, a really do, good guy. Um, I'd love to know his thoughts um, at the moment. Are Australian rugby going to have a press conference at all today? What's the, what's the story from your end? Uh, no, uh, it's a little bit odd. Uh, Hamish McLennan has spoken to a few reporters. Uh, Andy Marinos is actually in South Africa. He was trying to take a bit of annual leave at this point. So as you can imagine, he's very busy at the moment. Eddie Jones is in the UK. Uh, he hasn't spoken yet or uh, there's no plans for him to do so yet. He arrives in Australia in a couple of weeks. So it, it, it's an odd one. Normally you unveil a coach with a suit and tie and a top table press conference, but there won't be any of that at the moment, purely for logistics at the moment. What do you think was was the uh, the death knell for Dave Rennie, saying he wouldn't have Eddie as an assistant? Yeah, I, I don't buy that because Eddie Jones a few days earlier had spoken about why he's not an assistant coach, right? So he said, I'm not an assistant coach. That won't be happening. But Dave Rennie knows that, and I don't think that they would have ever been pitted together. So I think Dave Rennie saying it won't happen was purely that we won't be working together because they, Rugby Australia wouldn't make that happen. I think the death knell maybe, um, this is such the fine margins. If, if Dave Rennie goes and wins four or five games on that spring tour, he probably keeps his job. But the decision to rest players for that Italy game, when that was a game that was very much a banana skin game and identified as one, he rested players for the benefit of the whole tour and they lost to Italy for the first time ever. I think that really, really stung um, important people at Rugby Australia. Was it the end of him? I don't know. There was clearly a consistent pattern of not being able to take certain opportunities and, and you know, create those close matches into wins. But, yeah, that definitely didn't help his case. We're getting a lot of uh, feedback on our text line that suggests that the decision made by Australian rugby is a courageous decision and a good call. Do you think it's a courageous decision and a good call? Oh, seriously courageous, for sure. But, I mean, as Hamish McLennan has said, if uh, the, the risk is if they didn't do something now, then maybe we could be having these conversations in October when Australia bomb out in the quarterfinals of a World Cup for the second <laughs> time in a row. Um, they, you know, these mediocre results, as harsh as it is, have sort of been going for a number of years now. If the conversation, if, if Dave Rennie doesn't take the World Cup to a semi-final at a World Cup, then the, the officials at Rugby Australia who had a chance to make a call now, it's, it's on them. So um, it's courageous, it's bold. I think they like... Eddie, uh, his fearless approach, they're very, very different characters. Um, a bit of similarity probably between Hamish McLennan, who likes to stir the pot, um, as we know, with our Kiwi friends, and, and Eddie Jones. So I think they'll get on okay, but um, very much a courageous decision. Is it the right one? That's not for me to say. Well, time will tell. It's interesting, Tom, because Wales have done the same thing. They've brought back Warren Gatland, uh, just out from the World Cup, but now it happens with Australian rugby. Do you think maybe the narrative is changing to stop stop thinking about everything on a four-year cycle and actually look at pure performance as it stands in front of you? Totally. And I think Eddie Jones will be the first to admit that the you know performances with England was very much centred around the World Cup. He was obsessed with getting England right for the World Cup and matches around that didn't matter as much. Australian rugby is not in a position where they can purely put all their eggs in just one basket. That is the World Cup. They will be wanting him, A, for this 23 period to try and win the World Cup. But then it's a four-year plan. And then it's not about, you know, 
poor performances in 24, 25, building into 26, and then win a World Cup in 27. Australian Rugby Public wants wins now. They've had a win record under 50% for at least five or six years now. So um, they'll be stressing to Eddie Jones to pick your best team, get the guys fine, get as many wins as possible, as opposed to this whole infatuation with a World Cup cycle, which I think a lot of countries, you know, and particularly England, as we've seen with Eddie Jones, sort of get hamstrung by a bit. Yeah, no, New Zealand gets hamstrung by it too. They just can't, they can't see the wood for the trees at the moment. How much hard work is Eddie Jones going to have to do on the players? As you have suggested, it's going to be a tough ask, right? Very much so. The crazy part of this is that the Wallabies had a camp on the Gold Coast for four days last week. It finished on Friday <laughs> or Sunday. Um, Dave Rennie had mapped out his World Cup plan for over four days to 45 players and staff, and now he's without a job. Um, so the question is, Eddie Jones won't get his hands on these players for a lot of the time. They're with the Super Rugby franchises. There's a camp in maybe April, I think. But actual hands-on time with the teams and the players is going to be very limited. If he got the job in November, then maybe he has a little bit extra time sort of through December, Jan, to get some plans in place. But he's going to have to hit the ground running. He's going to have to make sure those players are fit um, and sort of up to the standard he wants throughout Super Rugby. And then he has four matches and then a World Cup warm-up against France. And then it's the World Cup. That's five games to come up with a clear, coherent game plan to win a World Cup. It's almost a free hit in some ways. Is there anything you're not telling me about why they pulled the trigger so quickly? No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, I'm just trying to think what else I can give you. They had been ideally planning to get Eddie Jones in 2024, and the fact that England sacked Eddie Jones before that opened up an opportunity. It's a bold call. There's nothing untoward that Rennie has done, but um, the cold hard facts, as, as will be repeated, is that Win record is 38%. Yeah, sure, there were some wins that they, they definitely missed, but I truly think that if they beat France and Ireland on that spring tour, then he probably keeps his job. All right, Tom, I appreciate you giving us the time. Well done on breaking the story, because any junior loves to break a story that's a good one, and this is a good one. Thanks for your time, mate. Have a good week, and hopefully you'll get to talk to Eddie and Dave and, and uh, grow the story, so to speak. That would be great. Talk soon. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Tom Deason, the man that broke the story on the Sydney Morning Herald about Dave Rennie being sacked. Now, a couple of things here. Okay. Stephen, don't be an arrogant New Zealander. Don't think the New Zealand coaches are holier than thou. I d- Where did that come from? Did I in any way say that, Dale? Wrong. And yes, I agree with you. Good on Rosie Rugby for making a tough call. I just think, you know, it's, it's a, I still think it's a little dishonourable the way they've done it. Uh, and by the way, Charlie, I never said he was coaching the Wallaroos, but he is overseeing the Wallaroos program, which was, uh, which was what I was saying. I know the Australia of the Wallabies, Charlie. Clean your ears out. Simple as that. And Gig, uh, can't wait for the mind games to begin at this year's Bledisloe Cup. Yeah, look, it creates another narrative to get excited about, doesn't it? And maybe get one over Australia, if you can, in World Cup year. That is on the Temper Bedpost text line 8833. Give me your thoughts on this one. If you're in the mood, I think it's a really interesting story. But for once, and I think for once, it's showing that sports organisations, particularly in rugby like Wales have done, are not going to put up with poor performance. 38%. Eddie Jones' record, by the way, with England was 73%. So if if anything, as Tom Deason said to us, you can feel sorry that Dave Rennie has been flicked just like that. It is what it is. This is The Run Home with MacIver, Rotor Flex by Blundstone. Stability meets the freedom to move. It's uh, 4.19. 
You are locked into the run home with Stephen McIver. 0800 150 is the Makita phone line. If there's anything you want to talk about on the sporting weekend and what's happened today to Dave Rennie, get amongst it. It's always fun to have a good chat, even an argument. I love a good argument at 424. That's the Makita phone line. If you want to put a text in, not as much fun. But hey, get on it. It's the Timber Bedpost text machine, double eight double three Timber and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body. So you can put your head and feet up in comfort. So talk about Dave Rennie, talk about Eddie Jones, talk about what's happened over the weekend. 17 apiece, Cincinnati against Baltimore in the last wild card game of the weekend. Tomorrow, my Cowboys play Brady's Bucks, and we'll also update that a little bit later on today with our man from the NFL Bricky Show on Australian ESPN. So hang around for that one. That's Laurel Laurie Horish. Laurie Horish, not Horish, Laurie Horish. It probably sounds better, better than, yeah, I guess, move on, Stephen. Australian Open day one, some uh, live scores coming to you. Uh, Nakashima against McDonald, first run. McDonald took the first set 7-6, and it's one all in the second set. Uh, McDonald serving at 40-15. Greek Spore against Kotov. Greek Spore took the first set 6-3. It's four all in the second, uh, and Kotov, I think, is about to take the uh, fifth or ten, uh, ninth game. He's 40-15 up. Shapovalov, Dennis. 20th seed who's been out here at the ASB Classic it's a set of piece between him and Laovic it's one all and it's 40 all in the third game of the third set core to the 29th seat against Garan 6-4-6-1-6 and it's 40 all two love quarter in the third set uh, Weimer against uh, Nishioka Nishioka 6-4-6-2 two love Weimer in the third set Hurkacz, final score. That has just basically finished to the 10th seed. 7-6-6-2-6-2 against Martinez. That's the guy that pulled the pin late at the ASB Classic. Live, Ivashka against Vanden Sant. Uh, oh, this is going all the way. 3 6 6 all in the fourth set. So two sets to one to Van der Sanch. A final score there. We won't about that one. Those oh, One more live score. Uh, Mute against Wu. 6-4. 5-7-6-2-5-4 Wu in the fourth. That could go to a fifth set. Hang on. It's going to a fifth set. Just clicked over. 6-4 Wu makes it to two sets apiece. So the old draw of 128 certainly does a whole heap of things, doesn't it? Are you got something to say to me? Yes, Nick? I do, actually. I was just checking out the NBA scores at the moment. Yeah. There's 40 seconds to go in the Nuggets versus Magic game, and the Magic are up by one point. So okay, that's, okay, that's quite so a tight one. Now, is that a big deal? <laughs> I don't know if it's a big deal, but it's a, it's a close game of basketball, and a close game of basketball is always a good one, isn't a it? A close game of basketball is a good one. I, I'm go, I was going to mention this a, bit, a little bit later on, but Richard Gasquet uh, winning the ASB Classic. I've missed the final for the first time in about 35 years, not 20 years maybe, at 36 beating Cam Norrie, 4-6, thought he, thought he had been done, thought he was done for winning more tournaments, and he goes and wins the Classic, on a, which was, has been a, was a crazy fortnight. Oh, unbelievable. And I actually went along on Saturday. It was my first ever tennis open I've been oh, to. And okay. I was absolutely blown away. How absolutely was, blown how away. How is it you went on Saturday and I had been doing everything up until Thursday and you'd bother coming along? Well, but, I just took over for you, mate. I, you know, do, do the hard work after you're done. So, so I was in Cromwell with the opening round of the Super Sprint Motorsport New Zealand Championship. 
What was your experience like? I I had the best time. I, I from walking in to the the game actually starting to the food and beverage around and just the whole experience and everyone all dressed up. I thought it was absolutely awesome, <laughs> and I'll definitely be back to another open at some stage. I love I love how you say everyone all dressed up. Were you well, not, like I put you in the mood, you know? What, 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 did you dress up? Of course I did. I had my had my linen pants on <laughs> and, a, and a nice shirt and some some lovely yeah, shoes, Stephen. It's very important having the linen pants on. So the well, I felt like I felt appropriate, didn't I? <laughs> Did you spend some time in the the hospitality area called the Serve? Yes, yes, we sure did. We're um, parked up at, at the Schweppes tent. They were doing lovely uh, gin and tonics. Oh, the whole and, time. and then so and we're where, where were you seated? The York Stand, the Robinsons, the big concrete ones. The York. We were in Redwood, which is behind I, behind one of the lines. Yeah, Red, yeah and th- Red, that was fantastic. J- just below where the commentary position is for television, yep, right? Yep. Oh, that's a good spot. To, and you had a good time, right? I absolutely enjoyed it. I would love to go back to another one, even if I'm only in the hospitality bit. I'm more than happy. I was intrigued to read. This morning, that Nicholas Lamperin, who is the new tournament director, he probably would have been thinking, oh, why did I even take this over with two, basically almost two weeks of rain, wants to increase the size of the WTA event to a WTA 500, increase the money to $1.2 million, which means he has no restrictions on top 10 players or top players that he wants to come on. I oh, think, wow. I think, that, I think that's really... You know what's not cool? To, I, I wanted to get this off my chest, so I'm going to get off my chest. So I was late, right? I flew in, for, I flew in today, flew in today from Cromwell, right? Busy weekend. Shuttle is running late. What's going on? So I go over to Alert Taxis. I need to go 1.2 kilometres, 1.2 kilometres, maybe two, to go to pick up my car. That'll be 50 bucks. Now, you don't want to know what I said. And I said it twice. And I feel I'm feeling a little guilty, but not feeling guilty. What a, a quote uh, that is, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's standard. That's the fee. 50 bucks for 2Ks? Alert Taxi just lost all my business. The arrogance of it? Unbelievable. I, I, do, I, I should apologize to the young man, but he took my gob. I gave him a gob full. Can you believe that? Fifty bucks for two Ks? You, d- you didn't try Uber or no? I was I was trying, and then I, I went stuff this. I'm not paying you fifty. I walked back and rang my shuttle. Oh, we forgot, Mister McIver. It's on its way. Oh, fantastic! Right, got All it off sorted. my chest. Half past four. Here's Johnny. Four thirty-two. This is the SENZ Run Home with Stephen McIver all week. Well, at least until Thursday, thanks to Mick Delivery. It'll be no coming together for Franz Ngaru and Dana White at the UFC. Did you read that over the weekend? If you love your UFC, yeah. Nagano didn't re-sign his contract with the UFC. Apparently, might go to PFL, which or boxing. Tell you what, if he goes into the boxing ranks and the heavyweights, I'd be scared. Yeah, that would be code brown for me if I was facing him. But <laughs> there's more to talk about. This is what Dana White had to say about it. I guess uh, first question's got to be about uh, <laughs> the heavyweight fight. So I guess I'll jump right into that. Yes, T-Mobile blew the fight. Uh, that wasn't supposed to go up, but it did. This is for the official heavyweight title. We've been working on a new agreement with Francis for like two years now. We had gotten to a point where, uh, you know, he was going to fight John Jones, and many 
many who believe, including me, that he's the best of all time for the heavyweight championship. And John Jones has been willing and ready and able to fight anybody. He didn't care who it was. Could have been anybody in the heavyweight division. He was ready to go. We, we offered Francis a deal that would have made him the highest paid heavyweight in the history of the company. More than Lesnar, more than anybody. And he turned the deal down. I think Francis is in a place right now where he wants, he doesn't want to take a lot of risk. Feels like he's in a good position where he could fight lesser opponents and, and make more money. So we're going we're gonna to let him do that. We're, we're going to release him from his contract. We're going to give up our right to match. And he can go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants. When was that decision made, Dana? Was that, I mean, how long have you known that this was going to be the well, case, that Francis was gone? Even now. I mean, the guy weighs, was just weighing over 300 pounds, just had knee surgery, hasn't really had a, had a real training camp. And I think that probably has a lot to do with it as far as Francis is concerned, too. Um, you know, he, he doesn't know what's going to happen with his knee, how his knee, you know, he's, he's not getting younger. I don't even think he would have been ready for March. So, you know, we can't continue to hold up the division and, and not come to an agreement with this guy. We did everything we could to try to make this fight happen and try to give him the fight. But, you know, he, he's got it in his head that there's, there's bigger opportunities outside the UFC with um, lesser opponents. <laughs> yeah, you love that. Yeah, okay, Dana, that's cool. But you've got John Jones coming back. People saw it. People did get pretty excited. What's your What's your thoughts on you know Jones versus Gunn? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, you have you know if you look at the fight with Francis and, and, and Cyril, it was, it was a damn close fight. So there's no doubt that those two guys are the best heavyweights in the world. And for John to come out and face either one of them is exciting. It's fun. All right, John Jones. Uh, of course, Neeps is our guru when it comes to UFC and fight sports. Is he the goat in the, um, in the heavyweights? Yeah. Well, he hasn't fought at heavyweight yet, but I'm happy oh, to say sorry. yes. Yeah, so he's the greatest at light heavyweight. He would come and go whenever he pleased, take the belt back whenever he wanted, and now he's had a good couple of years off to come back and put on a whole bunch of weight. If he did that completely legally, who knows? Who knows in the UFC at all these days? But he's coming back in March fighting Cyril Garn, and that's just going to be an all-out striking are you buzzing? Are you ex- are you excited? I've, I've got I've actually got a note in my calendar for the for the Sunday morning to wake me up. So I'm very excited. Okay, I don't want to overexcite you. It's four thirty seven <laughs> on the run home here on SNZ with Stephen McIver. Brought to you by Rotoflex by Blundstone. Stability meets the freedom to move. James Oram, New Zealand Cycle Classic winner, is next. <laughs> on SNZ's Run Home, thanks to McDelivery with Stephen McIver. That's, believe it or not, that's a a group called the Bombay Cycle Club, which is quite appropriate because we are going to talk about cycling right now with James Oram, who won the 2023 UCI 2.2 New Zealand Cycle Classic, which was five days of racing throughout the Wairarapa and Wellington. And that's tough because I've followed a cycle classic and there there are some bone crunching hills there, James. Yeah, yeah. Um, the tour starts off in um, in Marston uh, with the infamous Admiral's climb, uh, which is about 10k at about six percent. So um, that definitely sorted out the the race nice and early. Do you hate hills? Uh, no, I'm actually quite a fan. I've got quite a slight build, so um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be going uphill than um, than sprinting along the flat. How can you be a fan of hills? They must grind your calves something strong. Uh, I think it's one of those weird things that us uh, professional sports people kind of learn to love pain. Um, and, and the more we, the more, the more we afflict on others, 
than ourselves the more enjoyable it is. How, how can you how can you love pain? Is is that just a cyclist mentality? I think it's that you know you go for a, out for a, anyone goes out for exercise and the exercise itself might not be enjoyable, but it's that satisfaction after knowing that you've pushed yourself to your limit or you know you've you've yeah you've had a really good workout. What got you into the the game, so to speak? Uh, oh, I was. Um, I my bike to school and then um, I went to high school at Westlake Boys and they had a, a cycling tryout um, where they, yeah everyone jumped on a, an indoor bike and w- were told to go as hard as they could for a minute. Um, and I think yeah, I think everyone got accepted into the, the cycling club. It was just a bit of a way for them to see who was interested and um, get a bit of competition going early. Because there is such a discipline required to be a cyclist, how much how much does that change you as an individual when when the word discipline comes into play in everyday life? Um, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm not out with my mates um, drinking on a Friday and Saturday night, um, but you know you can still enjoy yourself. Life, life's about balance, so um, it's just picking the times to to enjoy yourself um, and making the most of them. At what point during the Classic did you feel like you had it in the bag? Was it comfortable going through the streets of Wellington knowing it was all yours? Uh, yeah, it probably wasn't until the, the, the final five to ten minutes of um, of the race in Wellington that yeah, I could start to somewhat enjoy it. But um, we were we were trying to lead out our, our main sprinter, Luke Madgeway, for the win, so it was still um, all focused. Now, you're part of the uh, Black Spoke team, which is our pro-continental team, New Zealand team, uh, and I see you've uh, got the 2023 licence, but it's the men's second division, let's say, right? Uh, what does that allow you to do come 2023? And, and also, does it open up doors for the team to maybe sneak into one of the Grand Tours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, as a, a pro-continental level team, we're uh, racing the World Tour level teams, um, week in, week out, and then it allows us to get wildcard entries into the, the top-tier racing. Um, so, yeah, the likes of the, the Tour of Spain, Tour of Italy, Tour of France, um, all, all those tours have uh, two to three wildcards uh, every year. So um, it would be awesome if we could gra- grab one of those at some point. Yeah, is there a way of grabbing the wildcard? Is there, uh, is there, are there rules that you need to follow to potentially get that wildcard into one of the Grand Tours? Uh, not exactly. Obviously, um, having having the results and and riders to to prove that you're good enough to be at at those tours is probably the main thing. So, what is the plan going forward now? And and how big a you know deal is winning this classic for you personally? Uh, well, this is actually the the tenth time I've I've done this race. It's always been a kind of perfect preparation to ease myself back into racing and get ready for Europe. Um, so you know. To, kind of get that monkey off the back um, amazing and then to do it with um, yeah what is New Zealand's first um, proper professional team um, is just yeah awesome like uh, yeah to be able to have this opportunity and um, to be able to help some of the young guys grow and um, yeah it's, it's really awesome What does the schedule look like for 2023 for Black Spoke? Uh, we're um, we're actually racing next uh, next weekend in, in Palms to North for Gravel and Tar and Criterium Nationals, um, and then it's over to Australia for the for Cadell Evans Road Race, which is actually a, a one-day World Tour race. So that's already our first kind of wild card entry into there. Um, and then everyone's back in New Zealand for uh, the National Champs in the middle of February, um, before we all start heading to Europe. Um, 
I myself have got to start with the team at um, Tour of Rwanda, which will be um, uh, something very very special, even if the cycling's not um, not great. It'll be quite a quite quite a place to um, take off the list. Um, and then yeah, everyone's into over across to Europe there, and um, yeah, we've got a, a multitude of races. Peter. Now, James, there are there are many different positions in a in a, in a cycle team. What position do you hold? Uh, so I'm one of the older lads. I'm a bit more experienced, so I'm a bit of a road captain. Um, I mean, it's kind of yeah. Once you get on the road, we do have you know specific riders for specific roles, um, but a lot of the time it just comes down to making the most of the opportunities that are there. So um, you might a rider might not be the protected GC rider or the protected sprinter for the day um, but they could find themselves up the road in the right breakaway that ends up going to the line um, and they could still get a result for themselves So as a road captain you're the guy that and, and correct me if I'm wrong the domestique normally leads out right? Does the domestique lead out and, and do all the hard work? Yep, yep, yep so I'm kind of um, making sure all the guys are doing their roles properly and um, basically the, the director on the road um, you know we've got either Scott or Frankie in the car, um, relaying information to us over the radio, and I'm kind of the intermediary between the two. Oh, so, so you, you, you don't have to do all the hard work. you just got to stay with them, right? Well, I still have to do the hard work, <laughs> but I have, to, I, have to, I have to do a bit more thinking. Hey, um, is Aaron, Aaron Gates part of your team, isn't he? Yeah. Yep. So what was what is Aaron's role? Uh, Aaron's a, a, a road captain as well. Um, he's Yeah, he's got a, a wealth of experience on the... On the road and the track, um, and yeah, he's, he's a very, very smart bike racer. So um, it's yeah, it's very, very enjoyable in the both of, a, of us are at a race, and we can um, get our two brains together and um, take control of the race. So, what goals do you have? I mean, you've you've sort of laid out what's going to happen, but what goals does Blackspoke have moving forward this year? Uh, well, last year um, Aaron won uh, a stage at the Tour of Luxembourg, um, a stage of the Point Pro race. Um, so. For, for one of the riders to obviously top that, for us to um, to potentially um, podium in a, a world tour race, um, that would be amazing. We've also signed a lot of new um, new Kiwi riders who um, haven't haven't been in Europe before. Um, so to develop them into well-rounded professional riders would also be a, a big goal. You know, a lot of if you watch a lot of social media around the place, uh, everybody's into ice baths. Is that just a must for cyclists getting off? Uh, it really depends where we are and um, how our core temperature's going. So, uh, you know, the guys uh, at the moment who'll be racing in Tour Down Under, um, I think the next couple of days are looking to be too. 39, 40 degrees Celsius. So, yeah, for them, it's obviously a massive benefit to, to cool their core temps down. Um, and then, yeah, for, for some of us, uh, we do use it in training as a, so what are you, as a, I, I, as a recovery benefit. I, I'm always intrigued about cyclists when they can have a cheat day when it comes to eating because I can imagine you, can eat, you eat a lot of bland food. What's, what does your cheat day mean? Uh, oh, well, being back in New Zealand... Um, you know, we're only home for three or four months in the year. I, I, I did make sure I had a good steak and cheese pie today for lunch. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we eat so much, it's just about getting um, good food, um, quality food in the right amount. So your cheat is a mince and cheese pie? Yeah. Come yep. on. <laughs> There's got to be more to it. Nothing sweet? Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you obviously, obviously if you go into your local bakery, it would be a cream donut or 
um, Gusset's life to go off that. Now, now, be honest. Do you feel guilty or do you just go, oh, my God, that's the best thing I've had? Oh, no, no, no guilt at all. <laughs> if anything, I want to go back for another. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, congratulations on winning the Cycle Classic and got the job done after 10 years. And the best of luck with uh, Bolton Equities Black Spoke. It, it, it does sound exciting. Make sure you keep in touch with us, buddy, as to the progress of the team in 23, all right? Awesome, will do. Thank you. Appreciate the time. James Oram, your champion in 2023 of the New Zealand Cycle Classic, which was five days through the Wairarapa and Wellington. I remember being on the back of a bike, not only once, a motorbike, Neeps, because I know you love your cycling too, and it was somewhere around Wellington, those hills, and we were going down, following them. My goodness, that is scary. I think I think cyclists have got some of the biggest cojones uh, running around because – I, I didn't want to say there, but they're all a bit mad. Yeah, absolutely. They're all mad because they love to go out and bike for six hours a day for fun. And then like going down those hills, for example, they would have been hitting pretty close onto 100 kilometres an hour just with you and a very, very small, thin piece of lycra in between you and the tar seal when you hit the road. Well, we've, we've seen when they come off on, on, on tracks, you know, and things like that, the mess that you can make. But on New Zealand roads and the way that chip and seal is done, it's the last thing you want to do. Well, talking about that gravel and tar event that they're doing next weekend, that is literally all on the back roads or the country roads. There's no tar seal the whole way. Okay, quite simply stuff that for a joke. It's 4.53. This is the SCNZ Run Home with Stephen McIver. Thanks to McDelivery. Stick around. Breaking news. Developing stories. Breaking news, developing stories at 4.57 on SCNZ, the run home thanks to McDelivery. Yes, it's just been reported that Stephen Crichton from the Penrith Panthers will leave at the end of 2023. How about that? That's just broken on Fox Sports. Wow, how about it's been talked about for a long while. Stephen Crichton is an incredibly talented individual, but he wants to play fullback and can't play fullback at the Panthers. So what does he do? His management alerted and told the Panthers overnight. He's not going to be there at the end of the season. Now, the good thing about this is if you're a Doggies fan, yes, Stephen, are you a Doggies fan? Of course I am. I love the Doggies. They're my team. They are looking at maybe spending 900 big ones on Stephen Crichton to play fullback for them. So where does he go? Where do you want Stephen to go? I tell you what, why don't you go to the Timber Bedpost text line, double and tell me where you think Stephen Crichton should go. Should he go to my doggies or elsewhere to play centre or fullback? He wants to play fullback. So who needs a fullback? I know who needs a fullback. The Dolphins. The Dolphins need a fullback. They've got no one. Everybody thought that they might have Roger Tuivasa-Shek, but that's gone... That's, you know, then no one wants to talk about that one. So where should Stephen Crichton go in 2024? He's leaving the mighty Penrith and going somewhere else. Or you could call me on the Makita phone line, 0800 That's 0800 Get amongst it as the run home continues. Coming up after five, Laurie Horish from ESPN Australia, New Zealand and the NFL Brekkie Show. Stay with us. It's a Monday and it's already the 16th of January, 2023.
thanks to Mick Delivery. Oh, look at that. How good did that sound? Like in sync, 508 on SENZ's Run Home with Stephen McIver. Don't forget the Macca's Menor. In just a moment, Laurie Horish, our Macca's feature interview. David Morales before 6 o'clock in motorsport. And we'll do a bit of surfing after 6 with Ben Kennings. Okay, 24-17 at the moment. It's under two minutes to go between Baltimore and Cincinnati. Cincinnati 24, Baltimore 17. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Laurie Horish joins us now from ESPN Australia and New Zealand the NFL Brekkie Show. Hey, bud, thanks for hanging on. Great to be joining you. Hey, mate, I'm... I, well, thanks. I, I am a... I love wildcard weekend. Well, this is ridiculously supercard wild weekend. One thing that struck me, and I had thought, and I said maybe naively about a week ago, I thought the Vikings were a real dark horse to go deep, and then the Giants go and beat them 31-24. What went down today? I think when we look at that contest, there's a bit of a stylistic matchup that people thought, oh, you know, the Brian Dayball-led Giants feature a defensive coordinator. The coaching staff he put together, Wink Martindale, he loves to blitz the quarterback. He loves to get after the quarterback, um, really dial up a lot of exotic pressures, which basically just means sending defenders from all over the place <laughs> to try and harass the quarterback. They actually contained that approach today. Um, they didn't go all out. This wasn't one of his most wild uh, expeditions as a defensive coordinator, but I think the story is the offense. Daniel Jones played mistake-free football. This may have been his finest performance, 24 for 35, over 300 yards, no interceptions, a couple of touchdown passes. And then on the ground, he's, he's you know, 78 yards. He outrushes Saquon Barkley on the day, not on a yards per carry basis, but on a total yards. He was a situational problem um, all across the field. The it was a litany of sideline passes, the chemistry with his wide receiving core, an unheralded wide receiving core, the likes of Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins, Hodgins, Richie James. These are not household names, but the chemistry, the pinpoint accuracy, the placement on some of these throws to the sideline was fantastic. They played with composure. And look, for the Minnesota Vikings, this is a tale of just not close, but not close enough. I think for Kirk Cousins in that final play, you need eight yards on fourth down and you're passing short of the sticks. You're throwing the ball high so that your receiver, TJ Hawkinson, can't get his feet down and make a move even short of the, of the kind of line of gain there. Situationally not sound. And ultimately, I think that the New York Giants were deserving victors. Wow. I mean, when was the, when was the last time the Giants were in, a, were in a Super Bowl? This is their first playoff victory since that Super Bowl run with Eli Manning in 2011. Obviously, had the one in 2007 <laughs> as well. But this is the, the, the franchise's first playoff postseason success in over a decade. And the credit, Daniel Jones playing playoff, uh, playing career-best football, Saquon Barkley making plays and explosive work there. They're getting contributions on the defensive side of things. I thought Adoree Jackson, the cornerback, did a really stellar job up against Justin Jefferson, who is the best wide receiver in the league, in my opinion. Um, so I think credit to a whole bunch of contributors off the board and that coaching staff. Brian Dayball, for me, is the coach of the year, revamping that roster. They are playing with house money at this stage. That doesn't mean they're not going to try and go in and kick the door down on the Philadelphia Eagles, very heated division rivals next week but a really, truly sensational debut coaching season so far from day one. Okay, so they were able to... They didn't do what you thought they would do against the Vikings. They adjusted the way they played. So now they play Philadelphia, who have been ridiculously good all year, well, 99.9% of the year. Do they have the capacity to beat Philadelphia in the next round? 
I think they do. I think they do. Look, it's not going to be easy. This Philadelphia Eagles team, um, they have a stellar offensive line up front. So pressuring Jalen Hurts isn't as easy as just sending body after body after body. They're smart. They're talented. They have a man from our region of the world, Jordan Mailata, who represents not just Australia, but he proudly represents Polynesian community as well, Samoan community. Um, he's on the, the franchise left tackle on the edge, protecting Jalen Hurts' blind side. They can disrupt because they're well-coached, they're well-disciplined. You can back play. I mentioned Adoree Jackson and some of the other defensive backs to play tight coverage on the litany of receiving. The second time I use litany today, the wide array of receiving weapons that Jalen Hurts gets to work with in Philadelphia. But Philadelphia will be deserving favourites. I think the one thing that we've seen from the Eagles is at time when they've had some personnel out, you have been able to run against them. And if they can lean on not just Saquon Barkley, who looked explosive today, but attacking the edges with Daniel Jones's running ability, which has been so well weaponized this year, they're a threat. They, they will, there's no pressure on the Giants at this point. They are playing with house money, yeah. and that's a dangerous position to be in when you're up against a division rival that you would love to spoil the party on. You interviewed Jordan Mylata recently. A am I right in saying he is still the bodyguard for Jalen Hurts? Yeah, well, luckily they have five very talented bodyguards, but he is. I mean, him, I think he and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, really the faces of that offensive line. He's done uh, Christmas albums recently. If you don't know, Jordan Mailata has a phenomenal singing <laughs> voice. He was on the Masked Singer over in the US. Truly wow. the, the voice of an angel at 360-odd pounds, <laughs> six foot seven, six foot. Like, this is a ridiculous specimen we're talking about here. But, yeah, he has become um, very much ingrained in that locker room wow. culture. He's... He is an amazing ambassador for the NFL in this part of the world. And the Philadelphia Eagles have to be so, so pleased with how their investment in him as a seventh-round pick, how he took to coaching, how he took to getting his feet grounded in the NFL, um, despite his ridiculous physical talent, obviously where he was from a growth and trajectory standpoint, humility and a whole bunch of discipline, the real difference makers for him as he's ascended to be one of the best left tackles in the league. And even with a $64 million contract, one of the best value deals across the NFL. Well, particularly with you getting the uh, the musical exploits of a Polynesian Pavarotti, right? <laughs> hey, Absolutely. Uh, Talk about dual threats at quarterback. You've got a dual threat at offensive line. Actually, just quickly, I know we've, we're stuck on this game and there's more to talk about. Just quickly, I'm noticing uh, QBs running a lot more. Am I am I seeing things or is that has have I missed a bit here? I see a lot of QBs doing a lot of running. No, I think it's something that quite often the, the NFL um, – in, in decades past, the NFL would almost dictate to college, hey, this is what we want at the college ranks. This is what we want to see. Um, we want to see pro-style quarterbacks who stand in the pocket, as tall as a statue, read out, go through their progressions, and it's not really about the create after the fact. We want a pro-style quarterback. And in the last kind of five or so years, even a bit, you can go further a little bit, the last decade, we've seen the kind of that there's been a change that's almost reverse flow. College is putting these players in position to succeed um, to with their athletic talents, as, you know, with their legs and their explosive speed, as well as their arms. And NFL schemes have been more open to adapting to that. There was always the kind of the the theory that, hey, running quarterbacks going to get injured more often, you're exposing them. But if you're able to run cleverly, smartly, find your way outside, out of bounds and find your way um, to the ground um, and, and get yourself down and out of contact, you can avoid some of those big injuries. And it's just such a backbreaker for NFL defenses, they can have the play completely wadded up well, we're guarded, we've got everything taken away. And if this athletic potential is there to create second phase plays, that's what teams are looking for yeah. now. 
can you create us something after the first one breaks yeah. down? I love it. I, I, I totally love it. I didn't love the idea that the Bills almost got beaten up by the Dolphins, uh, 34-31, but I read turnovers uh, were almost extremely costly for the Bills. This was wasted opportunities early for the Bills. They had a few deep completions that uh, were deep incompletions that should have been hauled in, balls, you know, going down to the ground and not able to receive is not able to secure through the catching process. Um, and Josh Allen threw the ball away a couple of times. He had a couple of over-aggressive shots downfield that weren't on the money and, and kind of stalled what should have been scoring drives to not just make it a two-score lead for the Bills early, but a three or a four-score lead. Credit to the Miami Dolphins. The defense played. Um, one of their finer performances. I know they gave up 30-odd points, but um, they really did in situational areas get great pressure on Josh Allen, lots of QB hits, lots of sacks, disrupted his schedule, and yet played discipline enough behind them that when he got off schedule and he can create because he's such an amazing physical um, specimen on the run, how he's able to damage with his legs, not just his ridiculously strong right <laughs> arm. They played strong, disciplined football there, kept it contained, and forced some errors, which will be, look, this was not a clean performance from the Bills. This was sloppy. Uh, it's probably the perfect word to define it. And other AFC teams, most notably, I'd say the Kansas City Chiefs, would be looking at that going, there's some holes there for us. Yeah, to you beat me to it because I wonder whether then that now puts a question mark over the Bills as to how far they go. I think look, the, the top-end talent, um, what they have at the pass rush, what they have, we mentioned Josh Allen, but with the likes of, you know, Stefan Diggs at wide receiver, Dawson Knox, who is on a scoring run as we've got a huge play um, in the Baltimore oh, Ravens. Did Bold- I Bengals think- game about to... Did Bo- oh, no, it's it, done. We're about- it's done. The f- it's this done, the final. This is the heartache of one. This, we're doing live calls here all of a sudden, but this is the heartache and heartbreak of wildcard weekend. But yeah, back to the Bills for a minute. Um, they, <laughs> go for it, no, go for it, man, go for back. it. But I, I think what we saw with, with the Bills is they, look, that game-breaking talent still exists, but the weaknesses that, that are ever-present um, with that offensive line that isn't as good as it's been in previous years, I think that that exposes that pressure to Josh Allen. That is something um, that you have to look at and say, look, if you do have a talented pass rush, if you do have match-up weapons you think you can deploy and send after Josh Allen, that they're not going to be able to withhold pressure as well as some other teams in the playoff picture. Okay, Joe Burrow and Cincinnati final, 24-17. They go through. They've been to a Super Bowl before. Uh, they haven't haven't been convincing, though, have they? No, and I think huge storyline from this is that this is a really gutsy win. It's never easy playing a divisional opponent for the third time of the season and feel like you've got anything new to show them. They're so familiar. Um, but three offensive linemen, starting offensive linemen, have been injured and lost so far um, for the Bengals in the last couple of weeks. We saw um, Jonah Williams, their left tackle, leave today. Um, we've already seen Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins um, ruled out um, in previous weeks. So now the protection for Joe Burrow is being lessened. It was it had gone from really bad last year to decent this year, and now we're seeing whole we're seeing dings on that offensive front again. This means Burrow is going to have to play very clever. He's going to have to be slippery in the pocket, and I would imagine as we see the Bengals move on, as they make their they push deeper into this uh, this playoff picture. Um, Burrow's going to be getting that ball out quick. He's going to get it back to his drop and firing that thing out of there because that the gains they had made to set a more stable foundation for him in front of him on that line have been well and truly pieced apart over the last few weeks through just look some poor luck for that Bengals franchise at this time of year. Okay, um, it was a bit of a record, NFL record. Or it was in the record box. The year 27-0 down, you go out and win. 
and the Jags with Trevor Lawrence uh, going to beat the Chargers 31-30. You know what? I'm actually happy for the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence considering what happened last season, that they've made it, made it to the playoffs. But does it say anything about them going forward? I think what it says is that you know you had a talented quarterback already. Trevor Lawrence is going to throw himself into not we're not going to say he's Patrick Mahomes, but he's going to throw himself into the mix with the rest of the ridiculously talented young quarterbacks in the AFC. That box is ticked, but what we saw yesterday was ridiculous toughness. Like the, to, to overcome the mental shots that that would have been to throw away four interceptions in your playoff debut in the first half, respond even before halftime, before you can get to the locker room, respond with a touchdown drive, and then back it up with four more consecutive five total scoring drives to win this thing. That is mental fortitude at a young player, as you mentioned, a truly rough opening uh, rookie season under Urban Meyer, really, really dysfunctional state <laughs> forgettable, of the franchise. Forgettable. Oh, I, I think they'd like to be. They'd like it to be far more forgettable than it is. It will go down as one of the worst tenures of a head coach in NFL history. For him, from what you hear from the locker room, for the presence that he took, the maturity that he showed at that young age, and how he's grown this year with an adult in the room in Doug Peterson at head coach, uh, the steps they've been able to take. I mentioned the Giants were kind of playing with house money. True for the Jaguars as well. It doesn't mean they're not going to come out fighting against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes next week. But this is, again, a team that's ahead of the curve on where we might have expected them. And there's really promising things to come for that franchise. They've, they've answered the biggest question in the NFL. Do you have a franchise quarterback? Now they get to continue to build around him with draft picks and free agency assets. Okay, 49ers beat the Seahawks behind Brock Purdy. Uh, Jimmy Jr. out there and even their first choice choice pick not there I, I'm just going to leave that I like the 49ers I'm just going to leave it at that because I want to talk about my team and I'll be selfish and indulgent and talk about the Cowboys placing the playing the Bucks tomorrow now the Bucks beat them in the opening round of the opening match of the season and and Brady is 7-0 and against the Cowboys career does Brady do it again because the Cowboys last regular season match was horrible it was, and I'll confess this despite all journalistic objectivity. I too, like you, barrack for the team based yes. in North Texas. And said, yes, and while that's an enthusiasm that I appreciate down the line, I'm not sure you're going to be too happy with what I say next. I'm very fearful for the Cowboys' performance against the Buccaneers. I don't think it's a good matchup. I think uh, the, the, the Buccaneers will know, yeah, despite the Cowboys not being a great run defense, we're not a good run offense. So let's just scratch that off the board. <laughs> Where they can take advantage is the array of wide receiver weapons that the Buccaneers have. Um, from Mike Evans, rejuvenated in the last few weeks. Chris Godwin consistently performing. Julio Jones still capable of beating you downfield. And Russell Gage, if healthy, very sneaky, a clever, crafty wide receiver. With the losses the Cowboys have had at their outside cornerback spot opposite Trevon Diggs, we're talking Tom Brady, cerebral, punishing, clinical, cold. He will know where that weakness is, and I guarantee early on he will be targeting it, and he will say, we will stop doing that when you show us that you can halt us. So I think off the bat, there's the matchup you're worried about. For Dak Prescott, I, this is a tough defensive front. It hasn't been at the tier that we've seen from the, uh, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in recent seasons. But the Cowboys, as you mentioned, last time out, offensive line couldn't run block, couldn't get anything going with Ezekiel Elliott or Tony Pollard. If we're sitting with Dak Prescott having to sit back there, um, and, and orchestrate this off his own right arm. He's smart enough and talented enough, but you don't want to get one-dimensional a team against a team that is healthy again on the back end, like Sir Carlton Davis back in the mix, and have Antoine Winfields of the world ready to ball hawk. 
and look for whether all the interceptions have been Dak Prescott's fault or not, and I don't think they have. I think that narrative is overblown. They have not taken care of the football recently. Very worrisome, very worrisome mm. um, matchup here for the Cowboys and then throw in the narrative around the pressure that really sits more on the Cowboys and the Bucks here with where the Bucks season has been, a losing record. Super Bowl aspirations aren't really widely viewed across the league for this team this year. Um, whereas the Cowboys, I mean, if we talk about an embarrassing week 18 loss against Washington and then one and done, particularly if it's not overly close against the Buccaneers, there's going to be a lot of talk about that head coaching uh, spot. Oh, okay. So here's <laughs> okay. So all right, if you, thanks for that. Right, here's your yes, no, and I want you to be a good journalist, say yes or no, all right? Does mm-hmm. Tom Brady have plugs in his hair? Oh, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if it's plugs, but you've got to feel this. It might have been some assistance You, you could have said, see, you, you broke the rule. You didn't say yes. And does Mike, if the Cowboys lose, Mike McCarthy gone? I do think so. Laurie Horish from the ESPN Australia New Zealand NFL Bricky Show. Thanks for your time, mate. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the final game, and I hope for both our sakes I'm terribly wrong on that call. Yeah, baby. Thanks, mate. 5.25, this is the SNZ Run Home. Thanks to McDelivery, delivering your Macca's favourites straight to your door. And that was our Macca's feature interview. Time to turn our attention to other things. Probably a little bit of uh, thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow with our Paul Mawate from the TAB. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Paul, Cowboys Bucks tomorrow. Is it open on your screen? Yes, it is. Okay, tell me, oh, oh wise one, what does everybody think about it tomorrow? Um, they don't mind the goat. Oh. Uh, they don't mind Tom Brady, even though uh, they're slight outsiders in this one. The Buccaneers currently two dollars and thirteen cents to win tomorrow against the Cowboys, who are a dollar sixty-six. Hmm. They still have a bit of faith in Tom Brady and his ability to turn up at this time of the season um, and win games. So, yep, hmm. uh, they're slight outsiders, but the punters don't mind. And of course, we've seen some outsiders already get up uh, in the uh, wild card. Well, I bet, you that, I bet you that Vikings one might have cost you a little bit. Uh, well, we did take a bit of cash on the Giants pre-match anyway. Oh. So, yeah, they were, always, they were always very, very popular with punters. I guess... In terms of the Vikings, they sort of they were one of the luckiest teams during the regular season, and so perhaps their record was slightly better than it should have been. Um, and in the end, the Giants come out on top, and they travel to where is it, Philadelphia? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. next weekend. You basically that'll be a great great match up there. But the the big comeback, uh, well, the Dolphins almost came back uh, against the uh, Buffalo Bills today. They were down, I think, fourteen points early got out to around $31 and got back to within three points. In fact, took, took the lead um, for a while there. But yesterday, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the uh, LA Chargers, the Chargers got out to, what was it? 27 nil. 27 nil and and gave it up against the Jags. Now, the Jags got out to $26 during the game yesterday and punters jumped on that 26 they jumped on at 21. They jumped on at just about any old price, oh, to so be you, fair. So, so you're, sque- you're squealing a little bit right now? Yes, you are. Well, you're squealing. Come yeah. on. <laughs> no. Well, no, that's why it's called wild card. Anything can happen. <laughs> um, so those, those Jacksonville Jaguar fans and those punters who back them, very well done. Um, they're now 
uh, into the next round, the divisional round, and I'm just having a look at the outright markets. And the favourites, well, they had the buy today, Kansas City Chiefs. They're 375 to win the Super Bowl. They are the favourites at the moment, uh, followed by the AFC rivals, Buffalo Bills, who are at 450. On the third line, uh, third line of betting, the 49ers are at $5. And then the Eagles, who uh, also had the buy this week, they, um, they're not as respected by the bookies. They're on the fourth line of betting at $6 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, but the Bills have been the most popular team to win the Super Bowl with us so far this season. Oh, okay. Uh, are you ready to talk just a little bit of tennis? Oh, I love tennis. Me too. Love the ten- I so, love the tennis, Stephen. Games on serve, Rafa versus Draper, four all on the first, and Rafa serving at 40 love up. So hoping to take that. Oh, that Draper can play. Anyway, uh, is Rafa still your favourite to go uh, defend? Uh, he's not the favourite with the bookies. Oh. Uh, no, no, Who no, is? no. It's a certain Mr. Djokovic. Oh, Djokovic, uh, of course, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. He's the favourite. He's at $1.73 to win the uh, Aussie Open. What about my my favourite crazy in Nick Kyrgios, who can play? I would love to, I would love for him to win a slam. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> He's he's paying exactly uh, the same amount as Rafael Nadal. They're both paying thirteen dollars to win the Aussie Open at the moment, uh, and we have taken a bit of cash on Mr. Kyrgios at thirteen dollars. Uh, the best back outside of the sort of top four, uh, top four or five, um, would be oh crap! I wish I hadn't brought it up now because I have no idea how to say his name. Felix Auger Aliasimi. Oh. Yeah, just call Felix Auger, you'd probably be okay yeah. on that one. Yeah, Felix Auger, he's $18, yeah. um, but was back at around $26. So a bit of money on him. And, of course, we saw Sebastian Corder. Uh, he's just won his first round yeah. match, and uh, he took uh, Djokovic all the way in Adelaide. Um, he's currently $36 to win the Aussie Open. Okay, so you you love your tennis. Who wins? Well, it's day one, long way to go. Draw of 128. Who wins the men's singles? Well... Yeah. Novak wins more. Novak wins more in Australia than the Australian cricket team. Fair thinking. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you can say that. They've had a pretty good run, haven't they? Come on. Or, or are you, are you just... have a look at his. Have a look at his run in Australia. <laughs> All right, Paula. As always, appreciate your time, man. Take it easy. We'll talk again this week sometime. Thank you, Stephen. Cheers, Paul Moati from the TAB. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at the TAB.co.nz. Remember, it's R18. Please gamble responsibly. 5.31, you know who's next. This is SNZ's Run Home. Thanks to Rotofix by Blundstone, stability meets the freedom to move at 5.33. David Morales coming your way shortly. Look, there's a women's under-19 World Cup, a T20 World Cup being played at the moment. New Zealand are facing Indonesia at the moment. Oh, another wicket gone. Just as we speak, Indonesia now 62 for 6. 62 for 6 and the 15 and a half over. So... Struggling somewhat, Indonesia. Nadal and Draper are locked at five all in the first set of the Australian Open. Don't forget here on SNZ, 9pm tonight, live coverage of the Australian Open, the first slam of the year. And have you noticed that I'm saying slam now? Because I've been convinced that we should say slam rather than first major of the year. You know how we had this discussion last week? We did have this discussion last week. And so I've, I've just gone, you know what, bugger it. 
I'm going to say slam like everybody else, <laughs> even though even though I disagree, Neeps. Yeah, hey, you do what you want, oh, Stephen. This is your show. No, no, no. Hey, hey you, we, you we just st- went over you this. Stop that! You stop that now. There's no I in team. This is we. We and we are a very good team today. Are we what? Stephen? And we have three more days to make sure that we are a good team. Otherwise, I will get grumpy. <laughs> and NRL news because we love talking about the NRL. You know, we talked last week about Kalen Ponga going to the halves. Well, uh, Newcastle, we try to get. The the, the the rugby player, Lockie Miller, out of Cronulla. Looks like he's close to signing. So from the sevens, thank you. So that might happen. Caelan Ponger to the halves, Lockie Miller fullback. Does it make me, does it excite me about Newcastle? Not really at all. Uh, I love the derby here. Man U won 2-1 against Manchester City. <laughs> I saw some pictures there. No one liked that either. But I, I've, I traditionally, traditionally, Manchester United fan. That's all I will say. Do not judge me. And Chelsea have signed Ukrainian winger, uh, someone, uh, for over 100 Mudrik. million. Modric. 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 Jacob, can you talk to me on the, on, the, on the radio, not on my headset, please? Oh, sorry. Modric. Modric. Yeah. Ukrainian winger. 100 million. Is he good? Off. Off. I mean, what is off? I'm a Chelsea mean? supporter, and I, oh. I don't really think he um, improves the side. Much. We've got similar players already, and okay. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm I, not convinced. I don't think you're improving the show. We're going and making grunty boy noises. Anyway, five thirty-six. David Morales is next. <laughs> This is SNZ Run Home with Stephen McCarver all the way till Thursday. Thanks to Rotoflex by Blundstone. Stability meets the freedom to move. Don't stop till you get enough. I haven't had enough. I'm here till seven, so let's let's get busy, shall we? On the Macca's menu, still to come, the cream of the crop. <laughs> Dancing to survive, as the lads think we should do call it. And Ben Kennings on the surf nationals that were completed at Piha over the weekend with a young kid called Dune Kennings, nephew. Uh, winning the men's. All right, so we'll talk more about that and the women's event as well. So that's the Macca's menu coming your way. Uh, thanks to Mick Delivery, delivering your Macca's favourites straight to your door. You know, we, we spoke to Tom Decent. That's a great name, isn't it? You couldn't ask for a better name. Tom Decent. And he was a decent fellow. He was the bloke from the Sydney uh, Morning Herald that broke the story about Dave Rennie getting the boot from... Uh, the job is the Wallabies job. Interesting to note again another another story about this on Fox. Uh, the Australian reported Rugby Australia approached Jones after his England side defeated the Wallabies last year. June. It's you know what behind closed doors what goes on you never know right. I I still think and I'm I'm going to ignore the text and think I'm you know being a knob and saying don't be an arrogant New Zealander because the fact of the matter is I just think it's really sad that you can dump someone just like that but they probably had money to run on his contract as well so they'll have to pay it again. I I honestly wonder whether Australian rugby has its together, you know. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, why don't we move to the cream of the crop, okay? Grain Court feeds your trusted partner for quality summer dairy feed options. So, cream of the crop, where we look at what was cool over the weekend and what stood out. Well, it was hard not to go past the Black Caps ODI Series win over Pakistan. Astana to Phillips. He'll turn it through mid-wicket into a gap. Phillips! the job for New Zealand 46 long years ago New Zealand last won a one day series in Pakistan 
for the class of 2023. It's just the second team. Williamson's men have done it. Thanks to Glenn Phillips. A brilliant knock from the stricken right-hander. Full of power and precision. And he's got New Zealand home with two wickets in hand and 11 balls to spare. Simply very cool. Even as cool as Daniel McCarty and the team calling that live here on SCN. So thanks to the lads, because it really was a special series. So that was the key cream of the crop moment. But we believe the team, Neeps and team leader Jacob, that there should be an honourable mention. And the honourable mention goes to 36-year-old Richard Gasquet winning the ASB Classic men's title. He won his last ATP title. And that is a monumental effort. Yeah, he didn't believe he'd win another title. So Richard Gasquet becomes a champion at the ASB Classic. And if you weren't, hadn't joined us by four o'clock the, uh, earlier on today, uh, the, the news coming out of the ASB Classic is that uh, Nicholas Lamprin, the new tournament director is now thinking seriously about upgrading and if they can afford to upgrade the women's tournament to a WTA 500 event which means the prize money goes up to like 1.2 million that's US by the way and they can have anyone they want see they are restricted to how many top 10 players they can have at the level they are so that turns the event into a completely different attitude so that's something to look forward to like a roof that would be really nice. Spending 11 days of the tournament, having to come on telly every time and say, well, just one moment, there's another time for another break. We'll have more rain. And let's now go back to 1996 and show you the same thing again. Uh, that was that was a pretty tough weekend. Now, we mustn't forget, too, and we're going to be working on getting a member of the uh, women's US squad uh, because they play the football ferns in a friendly uh Two days from now, Wednesday, and that's in Sky Stadium in Wellington. We've got a, a bid in, they call it a pitch, a bid to the US women's soccer team right now to chat to one of the players about that because that's really exciting. And why does it excite me, you ask? Well, it excites me because we know for a fact that something like 20,000 thousand, uh, fans of the US women's football team are heading this way for the Football World Cup, which is being shared between New Zealand and Australia this year. So they are rock stars. So we're hoping to talk to one of those rock stars uh, tomorrow here on The, the Run Home, thanks to uh, our good mates and gals at McDelivery. I've got to stop doing that. The good team. The good team at McDelivery. Uh, and McDonald's. They're the same thing. Uh, just a reminder, too, that uh, New Zealand now chasing nothing against Indonesia. The target 75 in the uh, ICC Women's Under-19 Cricket World Cup. The target was set of 75 by Indonesia. New Zealand now 22 without loss after 2.2 overs. That's right, 2.2 overs. New Zealand 22 without loss in the Under-19 Women's World Cup. But there's also, Neeps, as well, the... Uh, the full-blooded Women's World Cup in being played as well, isn't it? Is, is that what you guys said to me? Yep, that's in South Africa. Oh, oh there we go. So There's this is Jacob, sort of a curtain raiser. So this is like the curtain raiser. When does that get underway, bud? Um, I believe oh, you've stumped yeah, me there. I believe there it's we next go. month. Team leader credentials being tested straight away. Hey, just interestingly enough, 
there's a little bit of trouble for Rafa Nadal in the first round. Took the first set, 7-5, in 54 minutes, almost an hour. He's now down love three. Jack Draper leads three love at the moment. He leads three love at the moment in the second set. This could be in the first round, mind you. I reckon right now we could be looking at a five-setter for the first round for Rafa Nadal. What do you think? Are you boys with me or not? What, Rafa? If yeah. it's Rafa, then I'm in. Absolutely. What, what for a five-setter? For a five-setter. <laughs> he, he loves an injury, though, doesn't he? Don't you love that? I'm in. Yeah. I'm in, yeah. I'll Rafa take it for a five-setter. I'll take What's Rafa. that paying on the TV? Nah, nah. His, <laughs> the knees are going to hold out. The back's going to be fine. There's going to be no wrist issues. We're not going to have a problem, and he's going to take it out over Novak. Okay, I think it's time to drive to survive, get the team ready for this one, eh? Yep. It's uh, 6.11 here on the SNZ run home, so I think we should... Uh, uh, oh, actually, just by the way, I apologise, but just to remind about that grain, uh, cream of the crop, thanks to our good friends at Grain Corp Feeds, your partner for high-quality dry and liquid summer dairy feed options, supplying farmers nationwide. Okay, do you want to play Drive to Survive? I want you to play Drive to Survive. Get on the... Makita phone line right now, 0800-150811, 0800-150811. Your chance to be a winner, winner, chicken dinner with Drive to Survive. Oh, and the boys will tell me what you can win shortly. So get amongst it, 0800-150811, the Makita phone line, and let's play Drive to Survive. This is Drive to Survive. 6.17 on SENZ, wherever you are around New Zealand or Australia, on the SEN or SENZ app. Good afternoon to you, or good early good evening if you are in New Zealand. Time to play Drive to Survive. Of course, the run home brought to you by Rotoflex by Blundstone. Stability meets the freedom to move. Okay, uh, Neeps, what's up for grabs today, uh, money-wise? Big old $50 TAB bonus bet. Goes a long way. Goes a long way. Big old. Big old. Well, it'll go a long way But if you were listening to our good friend Horish, uh, if you put it on the Bucks. Because he thinks the Bucks are going to beat our, and I was so relieved to know that he likes the Cowboys, as I do. So let's see who's going to play drive to survive first up. Brett, how are you, mate? Distraught after going down to the booth this morning. Uh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> distraught. Oh, distraught. Were you were you on Miami? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. never mind. Let's get on with the. <laughs> Oh, hey, you know what? Yeah, no, no sympathy. Just move on, bro. Just move on. Here we go. Are you ready? Are you mentally prepared now, rather than shattered after the Dolphins lost? Uh, no, about mentally prepared. Mentally ruined. Okay, well, let's let's see what happens. Let's see if we can. You can win a fifty dollars TAB bonus bet. Here we go. Lap one. Question one. Which year did Dave Rennie begin coaching the Wallabies? Uh, 2020. This is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen. OK, not a good start. Stay on the line, though. Simon in Auckland, how are you, mate? Hey, you mate? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, here we go. Which year did Dave Rennie begin coaching the Wallabies? OK, I always thought the same as Brett. I'll just have a stab at uh, 2019, then. It was a good stab. Oh. It was a very good stab <laughs> because you could have gone either way. So, okay, lap yeah. one, question two. Let us move on. Who won the ASB Classic on the weekend? 
Richard Gasquet. Oh, you know, what I, you know what I like even more than the correct answer? The fact that you said his name correctly, Richard. <laughs> Very good. What else can you say in French? Not much. <laughs> no, I don't think not much. Not much. If you said not much, I would have said, yeah, not bad French. Okay, question three, lap number one. Where is the Rugby World Cup being held this year? It's in France. Wow. What you meant to say was it was in France. France and that's, so we've had two, two in a row uh, with the French. Right, question four, lap one. You're, you're rolling nicely, my friend. The breakers went down 85-83 to the Taipans. That extended their series of losses. How many in a row have they lost now? Is it three? And of which you have got three in a row. Oh, actually, that's no, four in a row. No wonder I failed fifth or maths. Okay, let's keep... Okay, last question of lap one. I hope you were listening this afternoon around 4.40. Which city slash region, and it's a forward slash too, city slash forward slash region is the New Zealand Cycle Classic held in? Being held or was held? Was held at the weekend. Uh, we um, spoke to the winner, Jacob Oram, at... Is it Jacob Oram? Was it Jake? James? James Oram. Yes, not the cricketer. He's probably too big for a was bike. It, James Oram. Was it, was it Wellington? I'm taking that. It was a half an answer, but it was oh. wadded up at Wellington. But I'm in a good mood today, so you're all good so far. Okay, you ready for lap two? Yep. This one will be an interesting one. I'm just warning you. Which African country is former UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou from? Or Ngannou? Um, is he Cameroon? <laughs> I love how you knew the answer, but you just played that. Oh, is he from Cameroon line? Very good. <laughs> you knew. Don't fib to me. All right, question two, lap number two. Which NBA team has just set the NBA attendance record with 68,323 fans joining them for their 50th anniversary? Pretty sure I saw this the other day. Is it San Antonio Spurs? Yeah, pretty sure you got it right. Well, you are rolling. Okay. Final question on lap two. Which country held the latest leg of Sail GP of which the New Zealand team won? Um, ah, there we go. What? Yeah. There we go. Was it, was it Singapore? Mate, he's playing with me. He's playing with me. You are playing with me. You knew that example. Example. Answer. Oh gosh, here we go. Okay, so you are you are one question away from winning the whole enchilada. Alright? So here we go. One question. One question. Who hit the winning run for the Black Caps in their one day international victory over Pakistan at the weekend? Have to go with GP, Glenn Phillips. Oi, oi, get your hands up. Oi, oi, oi. 
Mate, I'm just trying to think how many questions that was in a row. Four, seven, eight. Eight questions in a row. You absolutely nailed it today, buddy. Congratulations. Uh, what do you think you're yeah, going to... waiting to fall over. You're waiting to fall. Well, I thought you might fall over, but honestly, if, you are, if you're brutally honest with me, did you know all those questions? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Oh, a couple of guesses in there. Oh, what, so what was the, well, where was the guess? I wasn't sure about the cycle classic. I thought I heard some. I thought I heard the other day they were talking about it, and I thought it was Wellington, but I wasn't too sure. We did well. And I wasn't 100 percent on the Singapore for the yachting. It was a bit of a stab. Was that a stab or really fast fingers on the uh, on the old Mister Jugal? <laughs> a bit of a stab. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So fifty dollar bonus bet. Thanks to our good friends at the TAB. Remember to gamble responsibly. Where do you think you might place that? Um. Oh, I've been following the cricket a bit, so probably something along those lines, something in the Big Bash or something like that. Okay. Actually, actually, Chris Cairns put out a tweet the other day, I think in the last 24 hours, saying uh, New Zealand teams should be playing in the Big Bash. What do you think about that? Yeah, it'd be, be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it would, it would be interesting if you've got a couple of teams over there. Yeah, it's yeah. I think interesting is the word. All right, mate. Congratulations. Stand the line. Yeah. The lads, lads will have a chat with you. But you are a winner, winner chicken dinner of today's uh, drive to survive, mate. Have a great Monday. What's left of it? Cheers, mate. Thank you. All right, six twenty-five here on the run home. Thanks to our good th- friends at McDelivery. Now, Neeps, uh, a little bit of news today. Uh, Mornay Morkel will be joining the White Ferns coaching staff for their World Cup campaign in South Africa. So it would appear they need some South African influence and understanding of the conditions. That's what I'm thinking. Mornay Morkel was a, a quick. He played 86 tests. He took 309 runs, uh, wickets. 309 wickets. So that, oh, I wonder if that's a oh, sort of... Look, I was really stoked by it. I think Mornay's um, got a pretty incredible record. We did a bit of digging when we found out that he was jumping on board and, and his numbers are, are unbelievable, not just in South Africa, but around the world as well. So to have someone of his calibre join us, especially over there in South Africa, I think that makes this, I guess, appointment so smart. Um, from my perspective, I think Ben's done a great job on obviously New Zealand cricket to get someone of his skill um, who's really passionate about the game but also has, I'm guessing, some very good knowledge of South African conditions. I think it's a win-win for us. That was Sophie Devine, her reaction to Mornay Morkel being hired to join the White Ferns coaching staff for their World Cup campaign. So just a reminder, he played 86 tests for South Africa, took 309 wickets. That's pretty handy. Let's just give you a little bit of an update of what's going on in the Australian Open. Remember, live coverage tonight here on SENZ of the opening day of the first Grand Slam of the year. Uh, as I'm seeing it now... Just a little bit of a bother in the second set for the great one, uh, Rafa Nadal. He, he won the first set against Jack Draper from Great Britain 7-5. Draper is up for love. They're at 40, 40 all in the fifth game. 40 all in the fifth game. Four loves. He's just, he's broken him twice. How about that? Uh, the game that they are playing at the moment, that fifth game where Nadal's got the advantage has gone five minutes. They had one of those in the last set as well. Just a quick update for live scores going around the place in first round. Out on court 13, Karen Kutchinoff, the 18th seed, 
won, has won the first two sets. Looks like he's going to win the match too. He's up against uh, Morales, 7-6, 6-2. He's currently at 5-love, and they're just starting that one. Uh, Francis Tiafo, the 16th seed, looks better now, 6-3, 6-3, in the third set he leads. Uh, Escobedo against Daniel. Uh, Daniel won the first set, 7-5. That's Taro Daniel. Now, can I just remind you, Taro Daniel was the guy that was beaten by Ajit Rai, the New Zealand number one, in the qualifying tournament. Ranked 92 in the world. And he's gone. He's now won the first set, leads to love in the second set in the opening round of the Australian Open, which says to me, Ajit Rai is doing okay. And we'll take that. Uh, Lehechka, who was here as well, Lehechka is up against Koric in the f- first round. He's the 21st seed. He's 5-3, 5-3 in that one. 5-4, Kubla leads Baez in the first set. 5-4 in that one. Uh, Jonathan Millman, one of the one of the many Australian hopes potentially for them. He leads 2-1 against the Swiss player Husler. Uh, Munar, who is out here as well, uh, playing the classic, he trails... His opponent, 3-2. I said his opponent because I don't want to stuff up the pronunciation. So that's what's happening right now in the Australian Open. Yes. More news, Stephen. More more news. Can't believe we haven't touched this today, but Smithy is leaving Sky. Yes, I know. It's amazing. He's um, so I'm just reading this article now. It's pretty, pretty incredible. He reckons he's been there for 23 plus years and he's called uh, two of the Rugby World Cup finals. He's called over 20 Super Rugby finals and 160 plus All Blacks tests. So big congratulations to our old stable mate Ian Smith as well. Well, uh, isn't SCNZ lucky to have him? Are we what? Are we what? And Logan and Brian do a great job in the morning show there as well. It's great to have him back on here too. He, he was back on here this morning. I, was, I wasn't in the region and I was on a plane. So he, I, I'm, I'm told he was in a pretty fine fettle, which is really cool. I said, OK, so here's a Dancing with the Stars uh, Drive to Survive uh, question for you. How long have I been there? At Sky... And I'm younger than Smithy, by the way. Can yeah. I just, can I just throw that one out quickly? Well, I can, I've, I can go for a safe answer here, or I can go for an honest answer. Which, which one would you like? You can you can choose. Um, oh, yeah. Safe answer. You you can't have been there any more than three years, mate. Yeah, you, no, you don't ridic- look, you don't look that old. Yeah. No, what's it? Well, yeah, yeah. That's the suck up answer of the day. Uh, but the honest answer. I'm here to provide them. Uh, uh, honest answer. I think you will be coming close to. If not, maybe slightly more than 15, less than 20. Uh, you're wrong on both accounts. Ah, oh, damn. May 18, 1990. Work it out. Wow. So 22 years. 23. Well, 30, that's 32. 32. Wow, that's more than Smithy then. Oh, wow. Did you just figure that one out? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit slow on the old mathematics yeah. front, Stephen. 32. Hanging in there just. Hang on here. So what happens this year? Murph and I, Greg Murphy and I, our 10th year of Sky Speed coming up this year. Oh, amazing. Year That's exciting. T- that is exciting. It's like New Zealand's top gear. Oh, Except no. we, a bit, bit kinder, a bit more budget, kind. Without, yeah. without, that, without that sort of million pound an episode budget. And we won't go there. Look at that. The time's whipped up on us. It's half past six. Breaking news. Developing stories. 
Well, how about this one? If you remember about an hour ago, I said I really do hope that Nick Kyrgios can win a slam sometime this year. One of his best hopes has always been the Australian Open. Breaking news, quote, Nick Kyrgios has pulled out of the Australian Open. The 27-year-old has announced his withdrawal, citing a knee injury. In a press conference, Kyrgios has said he has experienced discomfort in his knee and an MRI showed a small tear in his lateral meniscus and a cyst. He will have arthroscopic surgery on his knee. Now, it's worth noting that he pulled out of the United Cup team event in late December because of an ankle injury, but it was hoped he'd be good enough to play in the Australian Open. He did play a shortened exhibition match against Novak Djokovic on Friday, which he won. Uh, He's devastated. He says, quote, did not pull up great. I'm devastated. Obviously, it's my home tournament. Barely had a good night's sleep the last four or five nights. It's just been throbbing. He called it bad timing, but said, quote, injuries are part of the sport. What a bugger. And by the way, I think on the local TABs around the place, all bets on Kyrgios have and are being refunded. Oh, good. So you know what that does? It it takes out one of the, the personalities of the tournament. Yeah, and so I've been thinking about you saying that he needs to win a slam somehow, because and I totally agree, and I've been thinking about it, and it's because it would just add to his character. He's got this amazing polarising character, and some people absolutely hate him. I love him because I love personality in sport. But if he had this slam behind him... Yeah, he's well, got, it, he's it, got it, free reign, doesn't he? Yeah, but, well, no. You, but it's it, it, it's like sitting in that tennis bubble or rugby bubble or rugby league bubble or motorsport bubble, and people go, well, you haven't won a slam, so who are you? Exactly. There are a lot of people, men and women on their tours, making good money and not winning tournaments. That's just, This is the life they choose. The one thing I know when you're talking about personality, it comes back to the, the discussion you and I had before – Authenticity. Exactly. He doesn't give a toss, and he's part of a, he's leading a generation of players to tell it like it is and not be robotic, not give the twee straight up and down answers. And I love that about Kyrgios. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I love about him as well. And to go with that chat and to go with the authenticity, imagine if he had a slam behind him. <laughs> he would be able to sell that to the to the world so easily. <laughs> Look, he's make, he makes pretty good money. I mean, oh. I think I think in the last couple of months he went to a, a tournament in Dubai or Saudi Arabia. His appearance fee was a million. And you know that's a million that's US. Rough. That so is that's, rough. That's tough for turning up and then going and losing in the first round, right? we're going to talk surfing next here on The Run Home on SENZ thanks to Rotoflex by Blundstone stability meets the freedom to move 6.40 on the SENZ Run Home on Monday the 16th of January 2023 Uh, lots of Beatles music today on this day back in 1980 that's right 1980 Paul McCartney was arrested at Tokyo International for possession of marijuana also on this day in 84 he and his wife Linda his late wife now Linda were arrested for the exact same thing in Barbados (laughs) gets better this day January 1681 John Lennon released the song Woman how about that speaking of women and young women, Natasha Wakeland from the New Zealand under-19 team uh, who beat Indonesia in their their match in the under-19 World Cup was uh, named player of the match. She took three wickets had 11 dot balls. So a a good day for Kiwis all around with the Black Six men winning their first match in the Men's Hockey World Cup in Odisha 3-1. They played the Netherlands tonight at 10.30 and there's been a real theme of youth over the show today. I've come back from Cromwell where a lot of young men were and women were racing around racetracks and just being authentic. 
And at the National Surf Champs, which starts actually the season of surfing uh, competition, uh, Piha's June Kennings and 16-year-old Pierre Rogers claim their maiden titles in the open category. The man that knows all about that is Ben Kennings. He joins us right now. G'day, Ben. Afternoon, Steve. How are you? Yeah, okay. Uh, it's Stephen, right? So that's, that's that's the unwritten rule. It's Stephen, not Steve, right? Ah, Stephen. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, people will think I'm a tosser for doing that, but that's okay. Uh, do you, no, no, no. Do you... That's like I'm Ben, not Benny. Oh, okay, good. Thanks. Oh, yeah. thanks for the clarity. I was never going to call yeah. you Benny. It was uh, it was never going that way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Dune Kennings, relation? Yes, he's my nephew. How, how did that make Uncle Uncle Ben feel? Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. He um, puts a lot of effort into his surfing, and um, I've surfed with him a long time. I used to take him to some of the events that I was running when he was a youngster, so um, watched him progress all the way through his career, and to see him get a national title is pretty amazing, uh, following in the footsteps of his dad, who won two back in the 90s. So, pretty cool. Uh, how old is June? He's 27. Okay. Oh, he's 27, so he's not, he's not, a, he's not a child. When, when do you notice in surfing that someone has talent, and, and what do you use as the, the pointers that they have talent? Yeah, it's a, it's a, well, I guess... A lot of, like a lot of athletes, they mature at different stages, but often you'll see a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old and you go, well, that kid has it, and some and some people just simply don't. But you see some kids, and it's just around coordination and their knowledge of the ocean. So, yes, part of it is about surfing the wave, but a lot to do with surfing is your knowledge of the ocean and finding the best waves when you're competing. So you've got to have both those skill sets, and some some kids simply have that when they're young. When you reference knowledge of the ocean, is that is that an ability to be able to see where a wave's going to break when you're able to catch the wave, and and how you are to approach riding that wave? Yeah, it is. So, and I guess part of it is preparation. So it's knowing what the tides are doing, and it's assessing the waves, where the rips are, um, where they're breaking, and then being out there and watching the ocean. So you, you could sit out there and twiddle your thumbs and pick daisies or pick seaweed or whatever, <laughs> or, or you could be watching out to sea and looking where the waves are coming and you know, and planning ahead. So it's just just about looking forward a little bit, little bit rather than just expecting a wave to pop up where you are sitting. So at 27, does it seem quite late in, in one's career to be winning a national title? Yeah, uh, I think if we took the average age, it would be older than that of our national champions. And, and I, they're probably trending older, um, similar to, you know, if you look internationally, Kelly Slater, um, best surfer in the world, won an international event at the age of 49 and 50 weeks or something. Uh, last year, so um, a lot of the national, the world champions are around that thirty years of age bracket. Um, so yes, yeah, not not overly surprising. Is 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 Dune wanting to go on tour, or is this just uh, one out of the blue? He loves surfing, and and just it was his weekend. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, he he has a full time job and um, and works a, a actually works a couple of jobs, but. Um, it's more for him. He, he's all. I mean, I'm sure he's always wanted to win that national title. Every New Zealander does. It's the most prestigious event that we run domestically. Uh, whether he goes further with it, 
I think he knows he's about um, he's a builder um, and he's about building in that career path. Mm. But the win uh, potentially sets him up to get in the New Zealand team uh, to compete at the World Surfing Games in May, and that is our first Olympic qualifier for Paris 2024. So. If he chooses that pathway and he wants to go down that road, then that opportunity is open to him. It must be nice when he knows he can beat his mate, Elliot Pairata, and eight-time champ, Billy Stearman, eh? Yeah, and and I think that was something special about this weekend. We had um, a really large field of surfers, and then come those semifinals and finals, the surfing was exceptional. Some people were saying it was the highest scoring final and some of the best surfing they'd seen in New Zealand in a long time. So uh, for him to win uh, against Elliot, obviously, and Billy, who is an eight times national champion, uh, really sort of showed that he could beat the best in New Zealand. All right, let's talk about the youth. Well, we've had a sort of a, there's been a youth theme on the run home thanks to McDelivery today, and you've got Pierre Rogers, who at 16, if I'm correct, wins an open title. Is that one out of the blue? That one is out of the blue. So, um, yeah, she wouldn't have been touted as one of the favourites. Mind you, she got into the final last year uh, when the event was held in Westport, so it's not absolutely uh, a bolt out of the blue. But, um, yeah, 16 years of age, the actual average age of the women's field was 17.7 years old. So um, it was very young. And then the final, we also had... Uh, Taylor Green, who's 17, Natasha Goldsbury, who finished third, was 18, and fourth-place surfer Lola Groove, who was 11 years old. So, 11? Um, very, yeah, very young field. There you go. That's part of part of your show, right, all the youngsters. Yeah, no, it is cool. I, I love it too. Uh, I suppose then the question has to be asked, how strong is the depth in surfing on both sides? You know, you have a 27-year-old win the men's division open and then you've got a 16-year-old winning the women's open. How strong is surfing right now? Uh, yeah, it is strong, Stephen. Um, I mean, granted, we didn't have Paige Harrab there uh, Ella Williams is semi-retired after the Olympics in Tokyo. Uh, another girl, Safi Vetti, is coming back from injury. So we had a few of the top girls that are missing, also Ava Henderson from Christchurch. But um, the pool of young females and actually the young boys in the sort of under-16, under-18 age bracket, we've got a, a really strong pool of surfers, and any number of those could win a junior event from weekend to weekend. So... I think that bodes well. Quite often we'll have one or two in each age category that stand out. And at the moment we could say we've got sort of 8 to 12, perhaps 15 surfers that could win every weekend. And I think that's a real positive for the sport. Is surfing like a lot of other sports where you need to get them offshore? And how easy is it for them to go offshore and do it? Yep, 100%. So, I mean, the, the toughest field of surfers around the world is Australia and that's on our doorstep so they our surfers do have to go over there and compete um, it's not overly expensive to go to Australia and the way they've restructured it internationally now you can go there and if you succeed then you qualify for the next step which is the challenger series then you're traveling around uh, the globe competing but at the moment the the pathway is Australia in the Challenger Series, and then if you qualify again, so this is the likes of Billy Stearman, Q Butler, Paige Harab, you get onto the World Tour, and that's the elite 30 men 
and 16 women. Yeah, sounds good. Ben, thanks so much for your time and congratulations uh, uh, passed on to your 27-year-old nephew, uh, Dune, and also to Pia. <laughs> well done, mate. Awesome. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Ben Kenning is wrapping up the New Zealand surf over at Pihar over the weekend. It's uh, coming up to 6.50 on the run home, thanks to our good friends at McDelivery. We spoke to you about Nick Kyrgios being out, out of the Australian Open. Here's what he had to say in the press conference. Obviously, extremely disappointed. Um, You know, I I know you guys will all, all be wondering, you know, what's going on, so... My physio, Will, here has been with me throughout my career and he's been monitoring me pretty closely the last week and he's going to give you more of the details on, on what's kind of going on and obviously I'm just exhausted from everything and, you know, obviously pretty brutal. Um, in one of the most important tournaments of my career and so it hasn't been easy at all. Yeah, it, it has been a pr- pretty interrupted and difficult lead into the Australian Open, unfortunately, and uh, during the last week or so, Nick's experienced some, some discomfort in his knee and routine MRI just to make sure everything was okay. There's a, a parameniscal cyst growing in his lateral meniscus, which is a result of a small tear in his lateral meniscus. It's not a significant injury in the sense that it's going to be career-threatening or anything like that. It was Even at that stage, it was still worth persevering to see if we could do anything to get him back on court. And to Nick's credit, he did try everything. To the point, even last week, he was having a, a procedure called a fenestration and drainage where they use a syringe to try and drain the, the cyst, which Nick has some pretty gruesome photos of. I'm sure he'll probably share them later. Um, and a, any amount of injections that he could try and get in his knee without causing long-term damage. Um, and we, we came to Melbourne with the hope that there might be some, some pressure relieved from that procedure and he'd have some relief and be able to get up to a level that he was comfortable to compete. Um, we used the... The, 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 the match, the, the charity event against Novak, as a gauge to see if he could compete at that highest level. Um, he didn't pull up great, and he still tried to give himself every chance, every chance in the following days to have subsequent training. But it was clear that with each passing session that he was getting sore and sore. So um, I think we've made the sensible decision to withdraw him because at this stage. He wants to feel mentally comfortable that he can go seven matches, he can go the distance, and he needs to be able to do potentially seven three-hour matches. And getting on the court simply wasn't enough. So that is it. Nick Kyrgios, that was the breaking news out of the Australian Open. Meanwhile, the number one set, Rafa Nadal, is in the third set. Uh, Jack, he won the first set 7-5. Jack Draper has stormed back to win the second set 6-2. It's one all. It's one all in the third set. Rafa serving at 15 love. Ben Francis, big Ben, ding dong, uh, joins us now. That was just my poor dad joke, big Ben, the clock. You know what it is, eh, Ben? Yeah, you're, you're all right. Yeah, okay. I, I get away with that, eh? <laughs> yeah, you get away with it, mate. <laughs> uh, extra time after seven this evening. What gives, my friend? What's happening? Yeah, so straight off the top, we're going to have Tim Horan. Oh, so oh, you get the big dog. We've all been running around getting the journalists that break the story, and big Ben comes and says, oh, by the way, I've got Tim Horan. Yeah, I, I waited patiently in the background, just, just <laughs> coming from behind everyone. So that, no, great to have Tim Bang! on the show. Bang! Straight out of the six shooter. <laughs> uh, we've also got some just, uh, Justin Nelson coming on to talk some basketball. We've got our good old mate Pete Fairburn over in West Island. We're going to talk. Hang on, hang on. Slow the truck up just briefly. Oh. Justin Nelson, what's he going to say about the Breakers on a three game losing streak? Oh, he might. He might say, look, they've got six games left, but uh, <laughs> four of those last six are against the two bottom teams. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> 
<laughs> Who knows what he's going to say? What's Pete Fairbairn up to? Oh, well, we're going to talk a bit about Eddie as well, but we also want to chat a bit, a bit about Nick Kyrgios, which you'd organised before we learned he was out. So, well, well you'd organised to talk to Nick Kyrgios. No, I, I wish we could talk to Nick Kyrgios because I'm very curious to know whether actually people You're just... You're very curious. Curious <laughs> to whether no people actually hate him or whether it's just a whole bandwagon hey, thing. You, can, you cannot hate Nick Kyrgios. But people if do. If you hate Nick Kyrgios, you're stuck in a bubble. I agree. And you shouldn't be like that. I totally agree with you, but I see today people are hating on him because he was riding around Melbourne on a lime scooter. Good on him. Without a helmet oh, on. Oh, hello, we're normal, are we? Yeah. Are we allowed to be normal? No, apparently not. Mind you, I, I do hate lime scooters. I hate. I, I almost, will give you that. If you remember, I told you the other day I almost got run down by a lime scooter. Out, I've outside, actually out. dislocated my shoulder on a lime scooter oh. as well, so another lime scooter <laughs> hater here. There we go, another <laughs> lime scooter <laughs> hater. Okay, so... Uh, you, you can't hate Nick Curry's because he's got personality. He's a great player. No, he hasn't won a slam. It doesn't matter. And he brings personality to a sport that needs a desperate return of personality to the men's game. I totally agree with you, Stephen. Oh, wow. Okay, what else you got? I got Ben Robb talking some darts as well. You can't help that, can you? Love Ben Robb. Have you, have you actually got a bromance with Ben Robb? Yes. Like the Oh, you've actually got a bromance with Ben Robb. Well, very, very good mate, Stephen. That's, very good mate. That's as far as it goes. I'm happy. Uh, were you, just quickly, were you happy with the result of the World Champs at the Alley Pally? Oh, yeah. And considering that nine data as well, it's fantastic for the sport scene. It gets such big global coverage too. So it's all, all for the better of the sport. Extra time after seven with Big Ben Francis. My thanks to Neeps and team leader Jacob. We are back tomorrow between four and seven here on SCNZ, wherever you are around New Zealand or Australia on the app. Take care, be careful on the roads, and we'll see you tomorrow.